Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to the Fastest Known Podcast, talking, as always, with some of the fastest people in our sport today. Wow. Today, I don't think we could say speed was what took place, but an extraordinary level of determination on one of the all-time classic routes in the United States. And today, I am speaking with Pavel Shafruga from Fruta, Colorado, who this summer through-hiked the famous Colorado 14ers. That means he did all 58 summits, not only self-powered, but he walked to all of them, self-supported, did not get in a car. My gosh, let's figure out how he did this. Welcome, Pavel. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Well, again, the 14ers, they're very competitive. We've had a lot of fastest known time of the year awards for the Colorado 14ers. Uh, they've been pretty competitive. And as I mentioned, normally people get driven to the trailhead. They hike up a 14er as fast as they can, come back down, get driven to the next one. And a few people extended the game by bicycling to uh, the, doing the whole thing. But you took it to another level. You started, wow, I'm still wrapping my mind around this. You started on July 14th at Pikes Peak, hiked up Pikes Peak, and then kept walking, only walking until 43 days later, you did Long's Peak, returned to the trailhead. You hiked the whole darn thing. So just so what's up, Pavel? Tell just give us your impressions or just help us out. Help us wrap our mind around this. Oh well, <clears throat> yeah. Um I guess I didn't popularize it too much before. I mean the joke was you gotta walk the walk before you talk to talk. Um and it, this has kind of been on my mind for a few years, and I think I knew I from previous endeavors that I was better at kind of grinding away slowly than trying to set some speed records in like a much shorter time frame. So this sort of uh, lent itself, I think, to more of my skill set. Um, yeah, and it, it just seemed like a good time. And uh, I, I had been struggling with some knee issues and it just kind of felt like they were getting better. And I was just going to go for it now because I didn't know when the next time I might feel healthy would be. So, Wow. <laughs> okay, so you started this while struggling with some knee issues. Oh, you had a little break in that. Uh, okay. That's, that, doesn't sound, that doesn't sound like the best way to start a 43-day trip, but you just felt it was time. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I think I struggle – a bit with just, you know, year after year goes by and I find myself working a lot and, uh, I, I could get the time off right now. Um, I had kind of scheduled it off. So I thought I might as well just start. And if my knee, you know, has a big hiccup, then, um, I'll, I'll just come off the trail, but I might as well just give it a shot now and see what happens. So. Dang. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's so funny because, you know, we have um, a wide variety of people on the podcast, some of the mm -hmm. you know, literally fastest runners, some of the most determined and some of the most toughest people. And I, I really like what I'm hearing here. You're, it was just work. You know, you had life, as we say, was, was taking up a lot of time and it was sort of a now or never thing. But gosh, all 58 self-propelled on foot. Um, hmm. Hmm. Here's, here's another, a quick technical question. So mm -hmm. self-propelled, you, you had no support, obviously no outside support and you walked into grocery stores whenever you could. Did you ever mail yourself food or have your girlfriend mail you food along the way? No. Um, the only thing I had mailed to me was when I got to Aspen, um, I had ordered a pair of shoes from REI that got delivered to another store there that let me do that because no one in Aspen seemed to carry the shoes I wanted. So that was the only like outside support I got other than stuff I picked up along the way. So you had a pair of shoes delivered. Yep. And then <laughs> and, 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 and tell your ride. I also 
bought another. Uh, I went through three pairs of shoes, but so in Telluride, I had my second pair. Um, and that was from Jagged Edge. So I just bought them there. So. <laughs> Well, this is what we would call a very pure style. So to, to walk through this, pardon the pun, you started with, you know, let's see. If you started in Manitou Springs, you didn't need that much food because you'd be going through Woodland Park and stuff like that. So you would just look on the map, decide when the next town was, and carry that amount of food. And then when you got to town, you'd just walk into the grocery store and buy what you needed for the next section and probably walked into a restaurant and chowed down. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. I, I ate a lot at every town stop I could. Um, and, uh, I, I had this all pre-planned though. So, I mean, honestly, a lot of it felt pretty brainless. I had, you know, the Cal Topo app and I felt like I was just following a little green line a lot and I had all my grocery stores marked and, you know, people would ask me, did you just come off this pass? Like, how was it up there? And I'd be like, I actually have no idea. I've just been following this line for days, you know? So, um, so yeah, I think I had, I had it all pre-planned and at each grocery store I had marked kind of how many miles I needed to the next place. And if the terrain seemed tougher, I'd, you know, buffer an extra day or two in case, you know, well, you know, with the weather forecast, if I thought I might get held up. So, that's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because that's how I would have done it too. And that's how the good through hikers are doing it. It's a, a very high degree of pre-planning. So Cal Topo enables one to self-create, self-generate maps using amazingly good data that Cal Topo is loaded up for free. And then did you navigate with Cal Topo or did you download the GPX files into Gaia? I actually ended up uh, navigating with CalTopo. Um, I actually I was more familiar with Gaia before this trip, but I just had so much off trail travel, and for some reason I was getting this hiccup where it would try to like st- I'm not sure what they use like stick my route to the existing route, and that sometimes would be like no, like I need to be on this ridge that's you know as the bird flies an eighth of a mile from the trail in the valley but it would like try to sticky me to that lower trail. And I just got too frustrated with that and ended up trying out Cal Topo and it didn't seem to have that hiccup. So, Mm. but but I would say, yeah, it was snapping. That's the word. Yeah. It was snapping my trails to stuff I didn't want, but I would say previously I'd loved Gaia and um, my girlfriend actually still uses it. So we have both subscriptions. Well, this is good for people to hear. So anyone planning their 43-day trip will get helpful advice or one-day trips. So um, Caltopo and Gaia always were the one-two punch, but now both platforms, I'm just going to add this little bit of information, both platforms have broadened their feature set. So usage is always use Caltopo to do the map creation and then do all the navigation with Gaia. But now Gaia allows mapping uh, as a mapping feature and Caltopa as a navigation feature. So they're both one-stop shopping now. So thank you for filling us in that you liked Caltopo. Just unbelievably good technology for almost no money. Oh yeah. And like with all the slope angle shading was super helpful. And um, yeah. And then I even got the, I think premium subscription so I can get that satellite data. That's just a few days old, which you know, isn't too high resolution, but really did help to know that I wasn't going to be facing a lot of snow. So, um, right. Yeah. No, again, thank you for describing this because the listeners, you know, they like to be informed. They like to learn. And so these, both these apps have, uh, you know, current snowpack levels. I mean, you could buy Mm -hmm. a satellite, which is just absurdly good wildfire. You could, it's uh, not just like, uh, 15-year-old USGS maps, These the information you get could be uploaded within the week. So yeah. thanks for filling us in. So going way back, flying Brian Robinson, the first person to through-hike the calendar Triple Crown, the Appalachian Trail, Continental Divide Trail, Pacific Crest Trail in one year. He really opened my eyes about pre-planning. And these guys are 
Through hikers are great planners. And indeed, when ultra runners tend to go out and do these long trails, they tend to flail. They fail. These The hikers tend to do better for anything longer than a week. And in my opinion, it's because of what you just described, your planning. A runner is going to tend to rely on their speed and say, oh, I can just do this. This isn't that far. Well, you pre-planned it. You were following, like you said, the little blue dot. That meant you could just keep moving. Am I hearing this correctly? Yeah. And I mean, yeah, totally. And I would, you know, I did have a Garmin in reach. So I use that for weather and I text my girlfriend sometimes to look into weather for me as well. Um, yeah, basically just staying on the path, um, and looking at the weather was kind of the only two like outside things I relied on, you know? So. Wow. I'm, this is a great story. So let me ask you before we leave this part behind, how much time did you spend planning it? Uh, lots. <laughs> well, lots <laughs> within like a three month window. Um, th- you know, there was definitely a point like I, I kind of, I'm not sure. I shuffled all the sections around. I originally wanted to finish in the Elks because it's kind of like where I cut my teeth uh, with a lot of my bigger days. And it just would have felt nice to kind of finish at home, you could say. Um, But it ended up, it was going to cost me like 80 miles, you know, which would have been two to three days. And um, so this this path was almost the most efficient one I found. I think it would have been more efficient there was there was one more efficient way, which would have been to go from pikes to longs and then essentially do the thing backwards. Um, but then uh, I would have I couldn't find a way to get from Pike Speak to Long Speak. That wasn't just walking the highway the entire time. So I think I took like the forty mile hit because I just didn't want to do that. <laughs> so understood. But, yeah, no, but I, I would say like within three months, I was probably putting in more time on this than my actual work, which, uh, wasn't good. So, yeah, but, but it's understandable, and it, but it yeah. paid off again. So the listeners can grok this. You average 27 miles per day. And that's of course, carrying all your own food, all your own water. This is everything. This is purely self-supported and this requires finding the food that you need along the way with no support 27 miles that's over a marathon per day with everything on your back and that also means a total apparently this is shocking of 297,497 vertical feet almost 300,000 vertical feet again so I think pre-planning was <laughs> time well spent. I mean, you don't want to be going yeah. wandering around the state of Colorado with that type of mileage and that type of vert at stake. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, on that note, um, there is two guys that did this in the 80s. I'm not sure if you've read up on this. Um, I couldn't find too much about it, but from my understanding, they were just hiking the Continental Divide Trail and then on a whim decided they should just do all the 14ers. And I think it took them five months, but I've, often marvel that just how many less people and infrastructure there was in the state, you know, their navigation was paper maps. It was just been, uh, that would have been an adventure. So you, I could say are the first, what should we say? Modern era person to do it. So there's stories like you just told that are not recorded. We don't have them on our website and I have never seen any mention of this. So, in the modern era, we're counting you as the first, even though, like you say, you probably were not. That's why, by the way, we call it the fastest no, known time. On your website, there is two guys that did it, I think, in 2013, and I think 72 days. And um, I actually wasn't aware of that when I started planning this, but eventually I you know, came across that information. So, Good, good. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah. for acknowledging that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I think their story is maybe pretty well published on the Internet, too, if people are interested. And I think they took a bit more of a standard hiking approach, I think, just with their setups and stuff. So, Right. Well, now your background, Pavel, 
is hmm it's mixed <laughs> if, if could i say that correctly you've climbed um 513 a very hard technical standard you, i don't think you've been much of a runner you've done big outings like you said in the elk range um mm-hmm. so this this seems like a big leap am i seeing this correctly i mean we haven't hiked the Appalachian trail and you didn't ever run the Leadville 100. So it's uh this seems like a, a strong, brilliant push. Yeah. Um, so I actually think I would before like 2018, when I started having, uh, wait, 20, yeah, 2018, I think when I started having knee issues. I would say like, quote unquote, I would identify more as a runner than a hiker. Um, I have ran like, Portland marathon. And, um, but it, yeah, I just started having knee issues and, um, but you know, through those things like the Elks, which I did right before that was like a 35 hour push. Um, I sort of felt like, you know, like no one is going to be, uh, you know, I'm never going to win like something like the Leadville 100 or something. Um, I just think it was too much, too high of intensity and like a very, you know, a relatively short time frame. Um, but you know, I've done a bit of backpacking and then my sister actually just finished hiking the Pacific crest trail. So as part of the preparation, uh, went out for about 10 days with her. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's weird. Cause I think there's kind of this culture that like, if you're doing something, you should like throw it up on the internet. And, you know, since we've moved to fruit, I would say every year I'll go out in the canyons here and, you know, have some little loop. That's a challenge that will probably be you know, like 25 to 40 miles. And, you know, it's just like my own little challenges. And I think, I think some people are like, why, why isn't there more on the internet? <laughs> you know, and you're, I don't know. I just kind of like to, um, you know, I think this is kind of my magnum opus. So I felt like it was a good time to share it, but I think my other stuff, I'd rather just kind of keep private and with my good friends, you know, we'll laugh about it over a beer, but you know, I'm not changing the world with it. So I just kind of keep it to myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, that's quotable. I'm going to, uh, I will use <laughs> this. I, I like to keep private. I'm not changing the world with it. Uh, this is, this is good uh, because there is this, uh, what should we say? An interesting blow up of information on the internet on social media, social media specifically, right? Um, mm-hmm. Instagram, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I'm parsing my words carefully here because I don't want to offend anyone and, and I don't want to um, disavow anything that's really helpful because there's, there's good information. You want to know what your friends are doing. Well, at the same time, there can be, from my personal perspective, a little bit too much of we, we look at me. And it's like, hmm, okay. Well, fine. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I'm not sure how helpful this is. Like you just said, you're not changing the world with it. And so you mainly do your projects on your own and talk about it with a few friends. But this is your this is your biggie. And so you went public with this one. Yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, you know, uh, I think, oh, man, I should choose my words carefully, too. <laughs> no, uh <laughs> You know, I, I think sometimes people are sort of addicted to the um, to the feeling of getting likes. Well, what they're putting out there isn't is nothing special. Like, I mean, I'll have people who put pictures out of their breakfast. And I think, you know, if you took away that feeling of getting the likes, um, are you are you proud of it or is it is it trying to is it swaying what you're doing? And I think by having these personal challenges that I don't expects to share with the world i think it you know like i think one of my personal sayings is like what would you do if no one was watching and i think by being out in the mountains and knowing that no one's going to give you a participation medal or anything you know it keeps you honest like if you don't want to be out there you don't have to and if you want to push yourself then you know stay out there and i think it's it's good to have just personal standards on that stuff and not be looking for some kind of um, validation later on. So, okay. 
Pavel, this is good stuff. We appreciate this. <laughs> turning turning dark quickly. <laughs> well, I'll I, I started it, and you just chimed in, so you you are innocent here. And I will even take it one step further towards darkness, which is then we'll, we'll reel it back in toward the light, so to speak, which is there is a crisis in young people's mental health, and it has been associated with overconsumption of social media. When young people, as you said, become addicted to the likes, there gets to be this increasing peer pressure, which they're already susceptible to. And if they're looking around and everyone is you know, skinny, happy, having fun, having sex whenever they want, it's like, wow, I'm doing terribly when they probably are not. So there is a little bit of a dark side to social media, and there is a terrific side to it as well. So we let's just say, you know, be healthy with it, right? Yep. Yep. And, uh, you, you know, try to really reflect on what's really making you happy. And, you know, if, if, if someone took the social media aspect away, what would you be doing? And I think if people can stay honest with themselves, and I do think it you know, it's a very uplifting space as well. So I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the person to say we should get rid of it all, but I think you're right. It is a very unhealthy thing for some people. So. Wow. Well, we're uh, suitably impressed with, uh, <clears throat> through hiking the Colorado 14ers and, uh, you did not do that by, uh, by public support. I suspect that was inner driven, inner motivation. You did it because that's what you felt like doing. And you also mentioned that you had a little time off at, from, from work. And just to trend in that direction for a second, apparently you build custom camper vans. Am I correct? Yep. Yep. I've got a, you know, a one man shop here, but I'll usually do about four to maybe six vans a year. And I just schedule the time, uh, time block off. So, and you do, uh, so I presume people, buy the van and bring it to you. Do you do ProMaster transits and sprinters or do you specialize in ProMat Dodge ProMaster? Um, I've actually, I would say I've done the most sprinters and then probably ProMasters and I've only done a couple of Ford transits. So. Gotcha. Well, yeah. I will put this in the written show notes if that's okay, but you're going to get a few calls if I do that. Is that okay if you get a few calls? Yeah. Yeah. My website is uh, horribly outdated. So you should put some, you know, if, if someone listens to it, don't, uh, don't expect the pricing that's there from like four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I see. So you're, you're still in the just do it category. You're, you're weak on marketing and strong on the construction end. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. I actually don't know. I feel like all of my, you know, I'm mostly a rock climber, I would say. So my entire, I think client base has been word of mouth in the climbing community. So I don't know if my website has actually ever done anything for me. So, okay. Well, we'll put it in. Would this be the best? So, if someone listening to this would like a custom build out of their van, um, your website would be the place to contact you. Is that correct? Because you can give, yeah, can, I'll put in whatever you want. Yeah, primevans.com. Um, and I would, you know, if I had uh, 20 seconds to sell myself, I would say I'm trying to kind of build in the same style as a lot of this like hiking mentality, which is, you know, efficient and super lightweight designs, but that's kind of a difficult thing to sell. Sometimes, you know, I'm not, I'm not big on what I call like the ornaments on the outside of the vans. I just like, um, you know, quality, well put together interior, but anyways, that, that probably wasn't necessary. So. <laughs> Pavel, you are our guest. You can say anything you want. <laughs> and I think Van, you know, Van, speaking of social media, you know, hashtag Van Life is huge. So all sorts of mm -hmm. people are either in the process of or romanticizing <laughs> having a camper van. It's funny, you know, because the whole Winnebago thing, that class is so out, you know, it's not really a thing. Even the trailers are kind of out. Camper vans are huge out west currently yeah. i'm in michigan and they're not huge here it's really interesting in, you know colorado moab you it's like 10 percent of the vehicles on the 70 between denver and grand junction are camper vans <laughs> yeah yeah it definitely and seems it, like that so yeah and you come east of east of denver the whole eastern half of the country not so much 
But at any rate, your website will be uh, on the written show notes so people can track you down if they'd like a custom build out. And I appreciate it. It's uh, not a lot of, you're not going for lux. In other words, you're going for a place to eat, sleep and cook. Is that correct? Well, I would say my woodworking is actually probably, I'm not, I don't want to sound pompous, but I think it's better than most of the van companies out there. And I think that's based on like material choices of just no particle board or any of that junk. Um, but I think there's a big push in the market of vans to put these like giant bumpers and mud tires and these huge roof racks on them. And I mean, the vehicles are just too big to like truly off-road. And I think it's just cosmetic appeal that at the end of the day, doesn't make your van safer and will probably eat like five to eight miles per gallon off your efficiency, which from a lightweight backpacker's perspective, you know, it's pretty easy. It's like the same as watching someone carry in like a giant camp chair or something. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you should update your website. This is good stuff. I mean, right? Yes, it's on the list, you know. (laughs) like somewhere between 100 and 150 a thing in the priority list (laughs) i like it see see this is this is worth it because i think people listening can identify that but you see these uh big big rigs and you know the the four-wheel drive you know sprinter the mercedes sprinter is the only one that comes i think still the only one that comes in a four-wheel drive version and transit's got an all-wheel drive but i think it's uh it hasn't uh suffered from the same like i I, uh, I candy bloat yet. So I see, well, there's, there's still time for bloat. We, after all are in America. <laughs> so you're, you're building out your camper vans, like your, uh, backpacking style. So it's very, very functional, good quality, but clean and lightweight. So greater efficiency. Wow. Yep. Okay. We, we just helped you with your website marketing slogans. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll give you a commission if I hit it big. So. <laughs> okay. Now, we've also been reported. Oh, this is great. We covered a little bit of social media essays and now a little bit of van build out. But you apparently were suffering a little bit from rhabdomyolysis when you finished, which means it is a kidney uh, malfunction, which is not uncommon in ultra running, where one gets a little too dehydrated, the kidneys start to close down. This is what I hear. I don't know anything. So fill us in. I mean, what happened immediately after and how are you feeling now? Um, so immediately after I actually finished, uh, close to 11 PM. And, um, I definitely had kind of, a you know, the weather forecast that day wasn't very good, but when I kind of reached this last saddle, um, at which point I could kind of set up camp and then make an early morning push, I had a pretty good weather window. It looked like, so I was kind of like, screw it. I'm finishing this. Um, so I did end up getting hit by rain after I descended like the sketchy part, you could say of long speak. So it wasn't bad, but it you know, anyways, I got into the trailhead late. My girlfriend got there about 15 minutes later in the van and, um, that night things were great. I drank a couple beers. Um, the next morning I went out and ate a gigantic breakfast, but when we got home, you know, on the other side of the state, uh, when I took my socks off, like finally shower for the first time in a while, I, my feet looked, I mean, I jokingly say I looked like I was diabetic. So the first symptom was that I had this like horrid leg swelling. Um, and about third day after that turned into like, I started getting these super violent cramps. Like when the first one hit, I was actually just pulling, um, a car out of the driveway. And I thought I could just drive through it, but I had to like pull over physically. It was just too intense. It was pretty crazy. I'd never gotten cramps like that. Um, and that didn't go away. Um, so right about a week after I finished, um, I finally went and got some blood work and I had more than my, like my kidneys were a little off, but actually my liver values were, um, like my doctor, uh, you know, he's actually an old friend from Washington who lives a little bit South of us. And, um, before he saw my results, he was like, I think this will just resolve and get well. But when he saw it, he was like, no drinking. Um, you're looking pretty sick right now. Like we got to retest you in a week. Uh, so since then, um, I'm trending quite a bit better. Like there's like an indicator for rhabdomyolysis. Um, 
and that's actually returned fairly close to normal. So I, I don't have any more like muscle breakdown, but my liver values are still pretty elevated. So I'll actually get retested again in about a week here and hopefully I'll be back to normal. But since, since learning that my liver was doing poorly, I have, uh, I was not supposed to drink. I've had a couple beers cause we did have a big fundraiser, et cetera. But, um, you know, anyway, so that, that's kind of been it is I, I think I'm returning to normal. My leg swelling has basically gone away. Um, and at this point I'm mostly feeling normal. It's just, uh, whether my liver is doing well or not, I'll find out in a week. So, wow. You crossed the finish line and that was that. Yeah. Well, you know, I actually wondered if I, you know, this is like my own speculations. I think, you know, you hear these stories of the body kind of adapting to stresses. And I, I pondered whether the same thing would have happened, like had I finished a week earlier, or I could have just kept going and my body would have, you know, continued to endure. But it was just, you know, once I just stopped, it was kind of ready to you know, go into right. this state. I don't know. So, right. Well, a little, little confusing on my end, which is Rob Doe is, I'm not a medical professional, but I believe it is a malfunction of the kidneys. And you mentioned your liver values, which is something different. So, how do you sort that out? Uh, so, I think I did read that. Um, so, from my understanding, is the most common form of Rob Doe is actually with maybe like weightlifters or CrossFit people. So, it's more they have like a really intense day and then they just eventually they'll have this kidney problem. They go get sent to the emergency room and they'll get an IV to pump a bunch of fluids. Cause when the muscles get broken down, it releases some toxic protein or something. But I think mine, um, manager, my doctor did end up reading about, so there's li more limited research on like what you would say, like, uh, extreme endurance athletes or something, um, where they're, liver problems are uh, not out of the scope of side effects from that. And uh, so I think since mine, mine wasn't the result of just like one harsh day, but this just constant degradation. Um, I think it's not, it's less common, but it is totally feasible, I guess. So. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you sound really good. So hopefully it's <laughs> a short term uh, is a situation. Yeah. And I definitely feel like physically I'm, uh, I mean, I think the worst physical aspect right now is, you know, on like a humorous side of the story, when I took my rest day in Aspen is the first time I'd like seen myself in the mirror. And, uh, I told my girlfriend that I'd lost a lot of muscle. And when I got in the van at the very end, like before I even took my little down jacket off, she was like, you've lost a lot of muscle. <laughs> Cause you know, so right now, Climbing has been pretty uh, rough. I would say I knew I would come back out of shape, but I am really out of shape right now. It's pretty humorous. So, so you're you're back to the five nine warm ups. Yes, it's uh, yeah. And since we climb at a place called Rifle Mountain Park, mostly there's it's kind of known for harder routes. So it's been well, that's uh, overhanging limestone. Yep, yep. So and formerly a place that I loved, and now I'm. Uh, struggling. <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay. Well, well, continue with our theme of this podcast, which is really good, which you providing excellent information. I'm just going to trend in a slightly different direction here and ask what food did you eat? And the context for this is besides your your, your subsequent issue here, a very slow recovery, losing a lot of muscle mass. An interesting study came out, uh, I think it was this last winter, where a graduate student, and it's just coming off the top of my mind here, so I don't remember what university. It might have been John Hopkins, but it's an Eastern University, also through hike the PCT Trail. I'm sorry, he's a graduate student in medical, oh my gosh, biology. He was a medical student. I forgot which specific field. And they did a yeah. before and after study on himself. So this was pretty mm -hmm. interesting stuff. And he became less healthy. And now you'd think that, you know, a big through hike, you're going to become much fitter, stronger, et cetera, et cetera. But he did not. And he ascribed it to poor diet. In other words, I went back, going back to flying Brian Robinson. I mean, he, he was not famous for, but he got up in the morning and 
put a bag of granola in his pocket and just ate granola dry out of his pocket, out of a plastic bag for breakfast. And then all day long, it was Snicker bars. And then his only hot meals were in the evening. You know, that's efficiency. That's how you move forward. Yeah. And that's not a great diet. <laughs> yeah. So the efficient backpacking diet is not a good, healthy diet. So this is interesting situation. So how do you, you're an intelligent, thoughtful person. So what did you eat? How do you relate to your loss of muscle mass? And, and I guess a third question, Pavel, is what would you do differently next time? All right. So that, that study I think was interesting. I actually did read a little bit about that. And some of the parameters they measured was uh, like how well the veins or something could contract and then expand. I forget what the name of this stuff was, but um, uh, I, I did think it was pretty interesting. And I think it would, so I didn't have a stove, um, but it would be super hard to try to travel fast and eat healthy. And I think, you know, the body just craves carbs, fats, at least for me, you know, sugar. Um, and I mean, to be honest, I joke that I am good at eating even before this. So, you know, some of the things that made me wonder about it is how was his diet before versus during the hike? And for me, um, I would say I try to eat healthy, but you know, I'm not like one to pass up a donut if it appears in front of me, you know? So, um, I would say I started out eating, um, I would say generally the first half I didn't eat enough. Um, I had kind of like this, uh, super bad kind of energy bonk, um, kind of going through the collegiates where it was like one of the most depleted feelings I've ever had. Um, but generally, you know, the start, I ate a lot of like Snickers bars at well, uh, Snicker bars as well. And a lot of that was just kind of traveling through the San Luis Valley. There wasn't a whole lot of, you know, like once I got up into the mountain towns, there's outdoor shops, they've all got, you know, either energy bars and stuff. But when you're going more or less into family dollar, you know, they're going to have M&Ms and Snickers. Um, but I would try to eat, um, I would try to eat that. I ate a ton of beef sticks and meat sticks, um, a lot of cheese sticks. Uh, I, I ended up burning out a bit on actually chocolate, which I'd never thought would happen. So I switched more <laughs> to nut, nut butters on the second half. Um, and then I oh. sort of burned out on tortillas. So I actually started just like crushing bagels down and making like tuna fish and cheese or meat stick and cheese bagels. Um, <laughs> so. Well, in case anyone was thinking about repeating, having a go at uh, <laughs> I think you just talked them out of it. So good job here. Uh, you're, 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 people need to listen to this podcast in case they're thinking of going after your through hike of the 14ers. And after this section, they go, hmm, <laughs> maybe not. Well, you know, and then in town, if there was a restaurant or a diner, like I would, I, th I described it as I would eat a comical amount of food, like, I had a morning where I ate three breakfast sandwiches and a breakfast bagel. Um, another, when I got into Leadville, like I first coffee shop I hit, I had a couple pastries cause that's all, they didn't have any like breakfast food. And I knew I wanted to go to like Tennessee cafe. I think it's called cause I'd had a burger there on a previous trip, but on the walk there, I ate ice cream at the burger place. I got a second basket of fries afterwards. And you know, that was all within like a five hour window. <laughs> so it was a, yeah, I, I could definitely eat all that trip. So, <laughs> wow, well, th this is this is good. This makes perfect sense, actually. I mean, it's not like you're going to go get kombucha tea at your local store in the middle of San Luis Valley, or, and of course, when you leave the San Luis Valley, you have to get to the next valley. So it's actually a serious walk right there. That's very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So if someone, the classic through hiker style, just to go back to that for a second for the speed walkers that is, is to mail one self drops. And so you mail yourself, you, you do this insane amount of pre-planning as you did, and you package in these little boxes, you know, a change of socks, then for once a month, a pair of shoes, and then literally the fast guys would do all their food. So they'll go into town and pick up their food box and not necessarily stop at a restaurant or a grocery store. And so they're eating their, extremely limited <laughs> diets that they 
uh, prepackaged the previous winter, which might be better than, you know, cheese sticks that you're going to get at the gas station. That's very, very interesting stuff, isn't it? Like you go through Aspen, great, let's go have some sushi. But elsewhere, hmm, yeah, beef jerky, okay. Yeah, um, and I would say that I think coming into this, I know that I can eat about anything. So I would say that 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 was the other benefit is I wasn't, you know, I, in retrospect with the energy crash I had, it was clear that I, you know, I had a couple um, six day carries there of food. Well, it was there. I knew there'd probably be like four to five days, but I needed to buffer with how the weather looked that I could be stuck out there for a bit. Um, and my pack is pretty small. So I don't know if I could have actually carried much more food, but, um, I knew that like I could walk into a gas station and I could subside on gas station food, uh, whether physically that was a good idea. I wasn't, you know, allergic to anything. Um, so I, I knew I could make it. So for me, it was pretty easy to avoid the mail drops and, um, I'm not sure. And then I, this is just totally like splitting hairs. I've often wondered how that, you know, if you're going to truly go in like a self-supported style, it just seems, you know, I, maybe the U, United States Postal Service has some delay function, but I just, I always, I didn't want someone to go, well, someone mailed you these packages. Like, how can you call that self-supported? So I just didn't want to entertain that idea either, just, you know, from a logistics standpoint. So. Gotcha. No, no, that's, that's good. Good knowledge. Good information. Again, the classic self uh, support style is to mail drops the speed self-support style then like you say the more casual self-support style which you were not but the more casual style is to hike in or hitchhike into town and buy f- food at stores and eat at a restaurant but again just to be clear you did not do that i believe you did not no, no. get in a car yeah well and i think that was partially, I mean, that just seems easier than doing something like the Pacific Crest Trail because, you know, I, I got to make my own path, which, I mean, that was part of the logistics would be like, I've got to end up at a place I can resupply. And even if you were doing mail drops, um, you know, there's probably a few more post offices than, you know, food sources along the way, but either way, like I had to get into towns. Um, and since I was creating my own path, that was just one of the, you know, objectives, I guess you would say. Right. This is very interesting. I'm, I'm glad we talked about food besides being important anyway, for something like this that's critical. And this really separates out, this puts out a good exclamation point on your project, which is you self-supported. Yeah, it is officially self-supported, but barely, I mean, minimalist in that style. And unlike the AT, the PCT, the classic through hikes, where you're you're resupplying from towns, which aren't necessarily and usually are not directly on the trail, you walked your route, period. And yeah. that enabled you to create what that route is. So instead of you know trying to go stay on ridge lines, you know, you road walked into a town because you had to go to a town. But the same town time that had a a very purist style, didn't it? You, uh, you walked your line and you walked every step of it. Yeah. And actually, I mean, it's kind of a amazing feeling. I mean, my, my base weight, that's the term that is probably common on this podcast. Um, yes. was only about, uh, eight and a half pounds and I had a helmet even. So, um, I mean the feel, you know, I would watch these people, I will pass these people, you know, on the trail that probably were lugging like 40 pounds of, you know, stuff they picked up at REI the weekend before. And the feeling to just have this tiny pack that, you know, I could take through all sorts of terrain and at any point could just camp. Um, I mean, it's, it's like a sense, it's a great feeling in the mountains to not be really hindered by what you've got on your back. And at the same time, have the ability to just be out there for days. So, Wow. You just opened up a whole little area for me that I, I didn't think of. I knew you went light, but helmet, that's a little bit surprising. So you're walking down a highway with a helmet, and you're, but not a lot of other things. And you carry the helmet, of course, for rock fall. And being a rock climber, wearing a helmet is 
totally natural and you you should always do it. This is very interesting. I wonder, Pavel, if you should send us a gear list, would you be willing to do that? And we'll put your gear list in the show notes, which you've never done before. But this sounds like an, it might be interesting to know about. Yeah, I mean, I would quickly just say that, uh, like, I slept in a bivy, and um, I I really, there was a pretty heavy monsoon period at the start of this uh, for the first couple of weeks, and I really debated getting a tent. Um, but I actually, you know, I, uh, I kind of felt like the bivy kept me honest because there was no option to just like hang out somewhere for a whole day while it rained. I mean, the, the way to basically stay warm was to keep moving. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. So I think my setup in some ways I purposely made it minimal cause I didn't, I not that I didn't want the comfort, but I just wanted to, you know, I basically packed for, to keep moving. I didn't pack to camp in comfort. And um, if I had yeah. had a partner with me, I think, you know, and it wasn't more of a social trip, I would not replicate that. <laughs> so. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Joe Grant, when he did the self-powered 14ers on a bicycle, he didn't bring a foam pad. Maybe you didn't either. I don't know. But I would have brought a foam pad because I would have slept a little better and the seven ounces would have been worth it to me. But uh, a bivy, do you mean by bivy, do you really mean there's no hoops to it at all? Or did it have one hoop for your face? Oh, no. So I did have the outdoor research with the one hoop. And I actually did have an inflatable pad. And I've got a, about like a 30, 35 degree Western mountaineering bag. Um, and my, my setup, which I think worked really well for me is I just keep all three of them inside each other. Oh, well, I keep the sleeping bag and sleeping pad inside the bivy because the super lightweight sleeping pads and sleeping bags, I mean, they can get torn on anything. It feels like, um, so was it, it that thermarest pad? Yeah. And I actually did have one that started leaking anyways this one tell you right i actually got a new one um but then my sleeping bag is like western mountaineering's like uh platinum something it's like their anniversary you know it after getting it overstuffed it's still under a pound um but by so i just enjoyed that setup which is every morning i would just stuff my bivy that had my sleeping pad and sleeping bag just in the bottom of my pack and i felt like it added a good level of protection and the whole thing just stayed assembled so more efficient. Yeah. And I'm sure glad I didn't have a big explosion of down feathers somewhere along the way. Cause you know, I think when you're trying to hurry or when you're trying to pack your stuff as you're getting rained on, it's pretty easy to just move too fast and snag it on something. So. Right. Well, I have the same pad and I hear what you, I mean, I do a lot of, in the desert but I, I prepare that ground real carefully because that's yeah. super thin material. That'll go flat just looking at it cross-eyed. So good <laughs> yeah, job. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and then my backpack is uh, I have a 13-ounce pack made by a guy named Dan who owns Dandy Packs. And I'd love to give him a shout-out. It's D-A-N-D-E-E. Um, I forget if he's from Massachusetts maybe, but he just makes custom one-off packs. And so, you know, I could – probably send a picture of my pack too. It's got a little slot for a helmet. Um, and that thing was just amazing. Uh, it, it held up great. I purposely had like the bottom of it reinforced cause I knew I'd be doing a lot of like butt scooting coming down scrambles and, um, yeah, big, huge shout out to him for making just a masterpiece of a pack. So. Wow. This is, this is, this is I'm sorry. I'm just, what are, you know, one gear head to maybe another, it's an easy place to go and talk about because when I was with Ultimate Direction, I intentionally had the, the uh, our industrial designer reinforce the bottom of all the packs for that same reason, the fast packs, because that's where yeah. it's going to break. I mean, you can have a pack that's perfectly fine, but the bottom is falling out from, you know, butt sliding down things. Yeah. <laughs> that's, kind of, that, that's, that's good stuff. Um, well, if you wanted to send in your gear list, we would print it. Mm -hmm. That way, Dandy Packs would be in the written show notes. And listeners, I can't guarantee this is going to happen, but right here on air live, you are requested to send in your gear list and it will get uh, printed on the written show notes. Yep, I can get that to you probably just later today. So, yeah. 
Okay. All right. Wow. Yeah. This is this is so fun. I'm still surprised about well, I have to ask you about the helmet. I presume it's because of your rock climber background, it felt natural and due to rock fall, but that meant ninety-nine point five percent of the time you didn't need it. So help me out on the helmet choice. Um I've got a so the helmet I use is like the lightest one. It's like six ounces is the petzl six ounce helmet? I didn't know it was a six ounce helmet. Yeah, yeah. So it's not you know, I'm not carrying some giant thing around. Um, I think it's just, uh, I mean, on a serious note, you know, we've lost some friends in the mountains. Um, and just with how popular a lot of the 14ers are and all the rock fall up there. Um, I don't know. I just, it would have seemed like a dumb way to go down. Um, and you know, and, and jokingly, like I would stuff my raincoat in it on the outside hiking a lot and then if i would like pick up a nice pastry i would joke that it would be like my tupperware because it would keep it from getting crushed um <laughs> but multifunctional yeah yeah for sure it, it it just um it it's an easy thing to bring i think and um i don't know it, i just kind of maybe a packed my girlfriend and i have that it, it's just it's easy to bring it's lightweight and I, you know, I didn't test it out. I didn't get hit in the head again, which is good because the day I don't have a helmet and get hit in the head, I'll, you know, maybe not wake up. So, uh, so that's, that's it. I just think it's just the little personal packs that, um, it doesn't really inconvenience me and, uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure it keeps me safer. Well, My, let's just use the word yeah. safe. I mean, yeah, it's, there's, there, as Andrew Skirka said, there's lightweight and there's stupid light. <laughs> where you're yeah. taking away things that you actually should have and it doesn't do you any good to not have them. So good call, Pavel. Well, uh, my, and I would say that on my route selection, um, coming from my climbing background, I did make some route choices that uh, I wouldn't recommend to someone who isn't familiar with a lot of scrambling and such. So, you know, I didn't take probably on half the routes, half the peaks, there's some, a degree of non-standard route and at that point you know you're just dealing with a lot more loose rock people might not know that you're off on this ridge below him because most people don't travel that way and so that that had that lended itself to to i think knowing that i would be in terrain that i think warranted it more than just taking all the standard routes Gotcha. So your route selection was based on your abilities as a rock climber. We should note that you didn't necessarily do the standard Colorado 14ers trail up. You took more of a direct efficient line because you were technically capable of doing it. Yep. And that's, and it is also like the terrain, you know, if I go out for a day, that's usually the terrain I'll seek too. I just think, you know, you don't have to, you know, there's more solitude and, um, getting to do cool ridge lines versus like slogging up hills is just, you know, it just makes the terrain go by faster and it's just, it's great. It's, I love it. So. Okay. I'm going to ask you a second to the last question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is, did you ever doubt it? Did you ever say, I don't got this? Did you ever feel like giving up? Yeah. Um, there was, yeah, certain moments, um, I got hit by one was, uh, on the way to Culebra. I got hit by a thunderstorm, but I was thankfully at this like veterans Memorial. It had like a little picnic table with a cover above it. And I sat through this thunderstorm for like six hours under this cover. And, uh, that was a moment where I was like, my setup is not adequate. Like if I was in the mountains on this hit, like, I don't think I'd die, but like my stuff would be floating away. <laughs> I don't know what I'd be doing. Um, and, and, you know, thankfully the next day I woke up and there was like roads washed out. So I was like, okay, this can't be something that happens very frequently. Um, and then coming into Telluride, I got hit by another thunderstorm where I kind of sat under this tiny little road cut that stuck out maybe a foot. And, uh, you know, I usually, when I see the lightning strike, I start to count because they do that whole thing about how far away it is, you know, and I wouldn't even like, it was within like a second and a half that the I would hear the just a boom. And, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty humbling. And, and then I guess the last one was when I had just this complete energy crash on the way up Huron peak. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if I'd ever felt so fatigued, like walking downhill, I had real doubts about, um, what the next day would bring. And, you know, I had pretty limited food and I, I knew if I didn't make it to Aspen, uh, 
I, you know, I had about a, I had enough food, but it, I just felt so depleted. I, I never crashed, I guess, that bad. Um, but I, the miracle of sleep, I mean, I woke up the next day and, uh, you know, my body pulled through, I guess. And that, that was pretty, that, that always amazed me how I could just get in my bivy, just completely trashed. And, you know, a handful of hours later, like six to eight hours later, wake up and somehow my body could do it again. That really amazed me. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 43 days. That's, that's huge, Pavel. That's huge. High altitude, long distances by yourself on sometimes technical terrain, two big thunderstorms and one energy bonk. Hmm. Well, that's, that's. Well, those, those were the worst. I mean, my feet were, there was like the opening two weeks had a lot of monsoons and uh, I've got some, there's a photo of my feet on like one of those articles out there. And uh, (laughs) I think I kind of laugh. They actually published it because that's pretty disgusting. So, <laughs> wow, yeah. Well, all in all, not bad. And you, 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 kind of, you hung it out there. Let's put it that way. Like you said, it's happened to me before too. You get this big storm event, which happens to come at a time where you're relatively protected. You think, wow, if I was where I was two hours ago or where I was about to be, this would not have gone well. And so you hung it out there. And you did this yeah. and you were successful by being, I'm going to say this, by being smart and being very experienced. Sorry, I'm just going to call this out since being a good athlete, you won't call yourself out, but you're very experienced. You're very skilled. And so people listening to this should recognize that you've built up a skill set and you did the proper planning and preparation to make this be successful. Yeah, that. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I, I have a, like a map of my, off my watch and I kind of hesitate to just throw it on the internet. Cause you know, I, like all the deaths on Capitol peak, you know, every year it seems like there's a couple more. And there was that one year, uh, one really bad year a few years ago, I think they had five deaths. And I think a lot of that is you just put the tag on something and it's the hardest and it just draws people that aren't prepared, but want to get that, you know, tick mark on their list. And, uh, so I struggle to like freely share all my routes with people that, you know, you know, you put the GPX file up and I can't give someone the caveat, like, like, you know, I think I shared a story about going up Wyndham peak, which is usually a fairly casual mountain, but I went up it off the South Ridge and that was terrifying. Um, like I would never recommend someone repeat it. Uh, and I wouldn't even repeat it myself, but you know, if you throw that GPX file on the internet, you know, someone might see it and never find that backstory. And, uh, I, I just think that people should do their homework and take a honest assessment of what they're capable of. So well put, well said. My last question is our traditional last question, which is what's next now, of course, considering what you've done, this is an offensive question. I hesitate to ask it, but we ask it every time. So if you want to say, don't ask me that, I just want to rest and make a few vans and make a little bit of money. That's a very good answer. So what's next can be answered any way you wish. Um, well, I definitely want, I definitely need to make a little money, uh, but I'd like to, you know, it's been closing in on like the end of my third year where I feel like my rock climbing hasn't improved at all. And a lot of like, I, I really like to feel like I'm moving forward with some part of my life. Um, whether that's climbing or, uh, hiking like this. And I think my lack of progress in climbing between too much work and then injuries kind of like fueled my fire to get this done, you know, in many ways. And, um, so currently I'm excited to go rock climbing again and get back in shape. And, uh, if that goes well, it'll probably be a, you know, few to many years before I'm kind of fired up for something of this caliber again. So (laughs) I can understand that. Yeah. Well, Pavel, I very much appreciate you. Thank you for spending your time with us and what a great trip you have. You imparted a lot of information here. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. So And anyone listening, if you enjoyed this, please subscribe. If you just went off this, subscribe. You can do it anywhere from iTunes to Spotify, elsewhere. And give us a good rating if you like, because good ratings help other people find the fastest known podcast. Thanks, Pavel. And thanks, everyone, for listening.